this, this, this message I'm going to preach today is a message of mercy, and it's a message of God's great love. I'll give you a context. Yeah, if you want to stand for the word as I read it. I'll give you the context first. This was Joshua and the people. God had promised them this land, Canaan, and at this stage, God has brought them to the place of Canaan. They've just defeated Jericho. That was the first city that they have overtaken and defeated. God's power's moved. And now we're coming up to a place in chapter 7 where they've come up against the second city. And remember, God said to his people, when you're going to Canaan, I'm going to give you the promised land. That means I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give the enemies over to you. But yet, there was a defeat. And we're going to find out why. And I'm going to read from verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took off the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up from there, from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought these people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? All that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they've also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they've been doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by the households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. He 
and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by the tribes and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah and took the family of the Zahites and he brought the family of the Zahites man by man and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Amen. You may be seated. So this, this paints a picture of us, for us rather, today, that Christ is coming be prepared is the message, individually, but for the church. Be prepared, be pure, be holy, spotless and blameless before the coming of the Lord. We're in a season, I believe, in where God is speaking to us that we are to be that people who are prepared. That we essentially have our garments washed, that we are clean and pure before the Lord. Now... This story with Achan was a tragedy in a sense. This man lost his life. He lost all he had. His whole family was gone. God had told them before they went to Jericho, in chapter 6, in verse 18, he said, You shall, you shall by all... By you, you by all means shall abstain from the accursed things lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. So he's saying, basically, there's going to be things in Jericho that you see. Don't touch them. They're accursed. Meaning that there's these things that are used for demonic worship and they're, they're just completely demonic. They're for the practice of the demonic. Don't touch them. This man Achan, he... Like the scripture says, he saw it, he covered it, and he took it. And as a result, like I said, this man lost everything that he had. There was, as a result, 36 men that died also. Not only his family and not only his goods. This was a sin, a grievous sin to God, that this man had covered up. 
he'd taken the Babylonian garment, he took the 50 shekels of silver, he took the wedge of gold, and he hid it. And he thought, it's safe there, no one's going to know about it, but God knows. God sees the secret things, even in our heart. Men men might not see it, but God sees it. And this man, this man's sin cost his family, it cost those 36 men that went up to Ai. And it was all because of his sin. And I want to tell you today that your sin, our sin, that maybe no one else knows about, it's never a private issue. It's never personal. It's always going to affect those around you. It's going to affect relationships. It's going to affect you. It's going to affect God. It's going to affect the church because we are a living organism. We are all made up of body parts, Paul says. We are all as one. We are joined together, but we are a living organism. And when there is sin in the camp, in the church, that is known about, maybe no one else knows, when it's unconfessed, that grieves God, but it also affects the body. And, you know, over time, people have been asked to leave the church because they haven't been willing to turn, they haven't been willing to repent, confess their sin, and they're put out for a season, but they're then restored to the church. They're not put out for good. They're put out so that they can be corrected, that they can be chastened by God, but then they're brought back in because then they soon realize where the blessing is. When they're put out, they don't receive it. When they're put back in, then they have it back again. Because obedience always brings blessing. And God, as a result of what this man Achan did, he was no longer with the people. That's why there was a defeat. That's why Joshua was on his face saying, what on earth is going on? You told me that you were going to be with us that the land of Canaan was ours. We're going to go in. We're going to go with your power, your glory. You're going to fight our enemies. Nothing's going to defeat us. But yet he's on his face going, what's going on? And God says to him in verse 13 that I am no longer with you. There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies till you take away the accursed thing from among you. Because like I said, the sin that is unconfessed in our lives that maybe no one else knows about, but God, that affects all of us. It's not, pro- it's not private. It's not personal. It's not, no one knows about it. I'm not hurting anyone. Because the scriptures are very clear. This is not an isolated incident. In, in, later on in this book of Joshua, chapter 22 in verse 20, it says, Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. So it's never private. It's, it affects us corporately. And so I want to minister this word to us today because it's a word of hope and it's a word of God's mercy. Because God doesn't want to leave you in that place. He wants to restore you. He wants to cleanse you. And he wants to bring you back in that place of blessing where you're walking completely obedient to him. And this sin is known as iniquity. They're closely related. Iniquity means 
basically, it's a conscious decision to rebel against the Word of God. So we've got the Word of God, and we know that maybe we are commanded not to do something. Let me say, let me say this. Don't limit it to what God commands us. Don't limit sin to just what com- God commands us not to do. Don't gossip. Don't steal. Don't use filthy language. That's called sin of commission, but there's sin of omission where God commands us to do something. Do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. Um, he commands us to preach the word. He, preaches, he commands us to be disciple makers. That is just equal sin as the do-nots. Does that make sense? One's sin of commission, one's sin of omission. So the iniquity that this man Achan was walking in, it was conscious. He was told. And the Bible says that he trespassed against God. And a trespass just means God writes the line in the sand, he writes the line on the ground, and we deliberately step over it. So it's a known line that we step over. God said, do not take of the accursed things, and he took it. So that's what iniquity is. When we are walking consciously, we're rebelling against what God has told us to do or, or not to do, as the case may be. And the New Testament teaches, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And he's, he's talking about leaven, which is like a yeast. You put a little bit of yeast in, the whole thing of dough, and that little bit of yeast touches everything. That's like sin. It's infectious. It touches everything. It doesn't just remain alone. It infects everything it touches. That's what Paul's saying. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It only takes a little bit of sin. And like I said, God is coming back for a pure and a spotless and a wrinkle-free bride. That's you and I. And he's calling us this day to get right. He's calling us to be ready to wash ourselves of those things that we know. Maybe that we have excused over years. Maybe it's things in our lives that we've tolerated sin. Maybe there's particular sins that we have just simply accommodated or even justified. Well, you know, it's, it's only this or it's only that or it's part of, you know, my, my background or it's part of my culture or it's part of, part of the way I brought up. Sin is sin before God. And I want to evidence this furthermore in Jonah because he, he, because of God's mercy, he was in a storm because... When we go in the wrong way, God will send us a storm to get us back on track. Great is his mercy and great is his love. And he says, in this storm, in Jonah 1.12, he said to the sailors, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. So that whole storm that they were in, the sailors involved as well, they were affected by Jonah. By his disobedience, just like Achan's disobedience, he was affected. And the result is, all these people of Israel that Joshua led, says in verse 25, they, that he troubled us. Joshua said to Achan, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. 
So they were troubled. All of Israel were troubled just because of this one man, because it's never a private issue. And I want to say that God, God never, ever winks at your sin. If there's something in your life, I'm not talking about things you don't know about. I'm talking about things that you've carried that you know about. It could be lust. It could be gossip. Maybe you just justify it. It could be pride. It could be fear. It could be resentment. It could be unforgiveness. It could be lying. It could be unbelief. It could be sexual immorality. It could be lust. It could be masturbation. All these things that you maybe have tolerated for years and years and you've just excused them. Today, God wants to make known his word of mercy and love to you all today because he doesn't want to live. He wants you to be pure and he wants you to be spotless because he is coming. Christ is coming and it says he's coming quickly and his reward is with him. And great is God's mercy that he doesn't want anyone to miss that. He doesn't want anyone not to be prepared. He wants all of us to be completely ready for him. And this defeat, God promised. God doesn't go against his word, but he promised that this land would be given to them. But he, because he's a just God, he allowed them to be defeated for the sake of Achan. He wouldn't allow, he wouldn't just simply wink at Achan's sin and let them have the battle over Ai. He said, no, there's sin in the camp. I'm a just God. I've got to judge that. My blessing's coming off you. My hand's coming off you. You're going to be open to the enemy and there's going to be defeat because God is he's just and he won't, he won't tolerate any sin because you know, sin, when we know we're walking in it, it defiles us. It defiles others. It defiles our relationships. defiles our marriages. The relationship we have with our children. It defiles the church. That's what the leaven is. That's what Paul speaks about. It corrupts lives. It corrupts you. It corrupts others. Ultimately... It's against God. When David sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery, murdered her husband, Uriah, God, David said, you and you alone, talking to God, have I sinned against. So ultimately, all our sin is against God. And you know, sin hardens our hearts. The more and more we tolerate it, it, we just get harder and harder. And you know, the Holy Spirit in us becomes grieved. The Holy Spirit withdraws. There's a cut in the Spirit. There's a cut in your fellowship with the Lord. It's not like it used to be. There used to be peace. There used to be joy. You used to feel His presence. That is all stripped away when we were walking in sin we know about, sin that is hidden. Just like Achan, he hid that, he hid that sin in the tent. And when we do that, you can see what happened to the Israelites. That 
the power of God was no longer with them. In chapter 7, in verse 12, he says, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. And then the next verse, it talks about they opened the door to the enemy. In, in verse 13, he said, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. So sin robs, it destroys, but it also opens the door for the enemy. There's a legal door. There's no covering. There's no protection. God's hand is removed from you because you're walking in disobedience. But he says, if you take away the accursed thing, just take it away. Become obedient. You'll come straight back into the blessing. You'll come straight back into fellowship with me. Because otherwise we have no victory. We have no armor on, no protection. When we're living in that place. You'll also be in a place, maybe, and I'm speaking to you today, where David felt at one stage in his life. Psalm 32, verse 3 to 4. This is when he had not repented. He's living in known sin. He knows all about it. He has done nothing whatsoever about it. He said, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. So God's hand... That fellowship that was cut. Instead, God's hand was heavy upon David. But in God's mercy, and through repentance, David turned eventually. And he was restored. And that's God's plan for you and I. When we're in that place, when we're living in iniquity, so we've got something in our life that we have pushed down, that we've justified, that hidden sin. Our prayer also, God doesn't hear your prayers. In Psalm 66, verse 18, he says, David said, if I regard, so if I accommodate or if I tolerate or if I know about, if I know about the sin, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So your prayers are not heard, therefore your prayers are not answered when you're in that place, in that place where Achan was. See, the tragedy of that man, what he did affected everything. It didn't just solely affect him. All of the people were under that curse. God's hand was removed from them. All of them. They were open to the enemy. But like I said, if we turn back, when we turn back to God, God always blesses obedience. He always blesses your obedience. The following, chapter 8, after I finished verse seven, in chapter, uh, chapter 7, in chapter 8 he says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. And arise, go up to Ai. See how I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. So as soon as Achan, as soon as this hidden sin was dealt with, they were back in the blessing of God straight away. So it doesn't take repenting for a year. It doesn't take mourning and fasting to show how sorry you are. It just, it's a simple act 
of obedience. It's a simple act of your will when you turn back to God. And there's a way, there's a right way to deal with sin. Because only true repentance, true repentance leads to life. You can do something and you can have regret. But that's only towards yourself. You just feel regret. It's just personal. Or you can do something and you might feel remorseful. Well, I feel bad and I feel sorry for my, you know, my brother or my, my dad or whatever because I've hurt his feelings as well. That's remorse. Godly repentance says, I've actually sinned against you, Lord. My heart's broken because of what I've done to you. That's what real repentance means. That's what true repentance means. And I want to highlight this in 2 Corinthians 7. Paul writes a letter, one of his letters to them. And he's talking about some of the things he said in that letter. And in verse 8, if you take your notes, he said, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. That you might suffer loss from us is in nothing. For godly sorrow, this is what we want, godly sorrow or godly repentance, produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So whenever we're just simply remorseful, it produces death. But when we have a true repentance, like I said, it leads to life. Paul said it leads to salvation, meaning it leads to deliverance, which means it leads to a change of life. But it only comes through true repentance. So there's a way, if we're going to live before God, blameless, like he's called us to do, he's called us to be blameless, we've got to know what true repentance is. And it's completely doctrinal. It's so abundant in the scriptures. The first thing John the Baptist said was, repent. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. So it's important that we get an understanding of where we stand and when we've maybe we've fallen, that we can actually come back into the blessing straight away and not hide it, not justify it. But we have to be repentant. And the other important part of our repentance, if we've fallen, is our confession. And it's actually to take ownership that we don't actually excuse the way we've lived, the particular behaviours that we've indulged, that we don't ever excuse them because that puts the focus back on us. That's not godly repentance. In Proverbs 28, this talks about our confession. And in uh, verse 13, it says... This is really important. He who covers his sins will not prosper. So you, you, I read that scripture about David when God's hand was heavy upon him when he was unrepentant. God's hand was heavy upon him. He was not prospering. 
So he who covers his sins will not prosper, but it says here, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. This is a message of mercy. Whoever confesses them, whoever confesses and forsakes, that means putting away whatever it is you're doing, whatever it is you're saying, to them God will give his mercy. Because your confession is necessary to receive God's mercy. We need the mercy of God every day over our lives. We so need the mercy of God every day. But it only comes through confessing. It's just simply coming before God and saying, Lord, I confess before you as sin. Fill in the blank. I ask for your mercy and your forgiveness. That's as simple as that. That's the mercy of God. We can't do anything to make that right. But we can by just coming to him. We can't do anything in our own goodness. We can't do anything in our own works. It's simply coming by faith, receiving the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood sacrificed for us for the forgiveness of sins, calling and standing on the faith of that promise, and we will receive. We will receive that forgiveness and that mercy. And... I also want to make mention of 1 John 1.9. 1, it's one of my favorite scriptures because it's, it's so powerful and it's a key to our walk. He says in 1 John 1.9, 1, If you confess your sins, if you confess them, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness, from all unrighteousness. So that's if. It's conditional. God is not committed. He's never committed to forgive unconfessed sin you might feel bad about it or whatever but unless it's confessed unless it's forsaken it it hasn't been forgiven it has to be done it has to be done for you to get victory and i want to look at luke chapter 15 if you want to turn there because this is a this is a beautiful illustration of repentance and it's the parable of the lost son. Most of you know it as the, the parable of the, the prodigal. This man got his inheritance. He squandered it all on wasteful living. That's what prodigal means, wasteful living. But he came to, a, let's say, the end of himself, where he couldn't do anything no longer for himself. And I'm reading in verse 17. This is when he's basically squandered all his money. He's now doing, he's in the mud basically. He's with the pigs and bad, you know, bad things have happened to him. He wants to get out. But he says in verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I'll stop there. This man came to the end of himself in verse 17. But you notice his repentance, he added another dimension to repentance. He said, I've sinned against heaven and before you. So ultimately, repentance is against God. He added that dimension. He didn't just say, I've sinned against your father. Well, he did. He squandered all, was a dishonor 
to him, but he said, I've sinned against heaven as well. That's what true repentance is. And you notice in verse 18, he says, I will arise. This is from the slum that he was in. I will arise. So he had a decision to change. So there's got to be a decision to change if we're going to be repentant. And then he says later on in verse 20, and he arose. So there was an action from his decision. That's what repentance is. It's first changing the mind of how you want to live. Change your mind and turn around the opposite way that you've been living. It's two parts. Change your mind and physically turn around. Stop doing the thing that you've been doing. Turn around and change the way you've been living your life. So that's a true, profound parable of repentance. After he came to the end of himself. Are you today, have you come to the end of yourself where you've been living with something and you don't know what to do? Maybe you feel like you have got too much guilt and shame to come to God, to bring whatever it is before God, because He wants to cleanse. He wants to show mercy. God is, God is so longing to bless His children. I don't know what upbringing you've had. Maybe you see the God like with a hammer ready to knock you when you come to Him for being whatever. But God wants to change he wants to cleanse he wants to minister to you today because 2 Corinthians 5:20 2 Corinthians 5:21 it says that he he that's God made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God so that's God's plan for you and I that we become the righteousness of God. So the righteousness of him, his justice, we have his justice, we have his mercy, we have his loving kindness, all demonstrated through us. That's God's plan for you and I. But he wants us to be right before him. He wants us to walk blameless and holy before him. And so as I close, as I close, if you're someone Today, maybe you're, you're not walking right before God. You know there's something in your life. Maybe the Holy Spirit has touched on that thing that you've been maybe justifying. You've been accommodating it. You've been tolerating it. It's just simply come. That's all God wants you to do. It's just to come. Maybe it's you know your life. You haven't. You're not living the way God's called you to live maybe you're in your heart you may be here every Sunday but maybe you're backslidden in your heart where you, the things of God maybe have been grown apathetic maybe you've lost your hunger and your love and your desire for God God just wants us to come before him to receive that mercy to receive the forgiveness to receive that blessing, to receive the peace back and the joy back, but it comes through repentance, and that's a gift today. And so I want to pray for God's gift of repentance to us, that we actually would come before Him. And I want to pray, and as we worship, 
It's not, no one's going to be prayed for today. It's just between you and God. If there's something that you need to confess before God, you can just confess it before Him. Don't make it loud so everyone else can hear you, but it's important just between you and God, you just confess whatever it is. I confess this as sin. And you ask for His mercy, you ask His forgiveness. He promises to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And it's a decision of your will. It's not an emotion. You don't have to feel emotional. So as we worship, you just come down the front, you come before God, and you just can bring it to Him, get right with Him. Lord, I want to lift up right now this word, Lord. You've spoken to our hearts, Lord, according to the power of your word, to the according to the power of your scriptures. And Lord, I'm lifting up right now every person in this room. And Lord, you want to do something in us, Lord. You don't want us to remain the same, Lord. You want us to be a people walking in complete victory and obedience to you, Lord. And I'm asking right now, Lord, where we have walked, where we've had hidden sin, where we've had that iniquity in our lives, Father God, that you've made us aware of. I'm asking right now for the gift, your precious gift of mercy. I'm asking for your precious gift of repentance to be released to us today, right now, Lord. I'm asking it be released to every person, Lord, that may come before you and confess, Lord, that they may receive your precious mercy, that they may receive your precious forgiveness. Father God, you are coming back for a holy uh, people that are separated unto you. So I'm asking, Lord, today, Lord, you would do something. You would touch lives. Lord, as we worship you, I'm asking you would do a mighty work of healing, a mighty work of cleansing. And I ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.